decades of discrimination harassment from the biggest employer in the country we're talking about the canadian government recently a class action lawsuit had been brought to the canadian government among 1700 black employees that have claimed that they never got a promotion got sexually and verbally harassed and were blocked for any career advancements because of the color of their skin. This case is a federal case. It will go to the Supreme Court, but will it be something that it will stick or it will be something that Canada, as other cases against people of color, just wants it to go away? Let's start the show. What's up and welcome to another episode of Black in the Maritimes. I'm Fidel and today we have an interview with Nicholas Marcus Thompson. He is the organizer of the Black Class Action Lawsuit, and he's an employee of the Canada Revenue Agency and Labor Union President. He's one of the people that is started this movement of suing the government uh, for racial discrimination policies that go over 30 years. Now, before we get into an interview with him, I want you to hear these three stories of three Black employees. This is on the Class Action Lawsuit YouTube page. You can actually go and check it out. But I want you to hear these three stories before we get into the interview. And you can kind of get a glimpse of what Black people had to go through to get ahead. Or maybe they didn't get ahead after years of working. And these are the stories. So we're going to start with the first one. And this woman worked 30 years in Canada Revenue Agency. And she's going to explain her story. So let's hear it. My name is Jennifer Phillips. I currently am employed with Canada Revenue Agency. I will be retiring after 30 years of service with the agency at the end of this year. In the 30 years I've been there, I've only received uh, one promotion. I know that seems uh, daunting, and it was. It's not for not trying. When the opportunity came, those that did not look like me were the ones that uh, garnered the position. It's been trying, disappointment, to the point that you just not have confidence in the process and you just stop trying. And that is the case for a lot of the black employees uh, currently at my workplace. You just give up. It doesn't matter, it just seems like it doesn't matter what you do. Um, there, there's always a justification and an excuse as to why you are not the successful candidate in this respect. It's even disheartening to see that these individuals that I've trained have gone on to lead a leadership position. A number of my colleagues repeatedly ask me, Jennifer, why aren't you in a leadership role? You should be. And I said, well, the, the opportunities has, has been denied to me uh, over the years and I just are not encouraged to continue. And so after 30 years, uh, I'm retiring with just the one promotion. 
I'm a proud mother of two sons. I'm a proud grandmother of five. I'm worried about my ability to be able to travel to visit my grandchildren. At this stage in my career, I had hope that I would have been at some, uh, management or leadership, a higher leadership position. My pension is based on the best five years of my career. 30 years with one promotion, that's not the best. Now, the case of Jennifer Phillips is not a unique case. This is a case that has been happening for decades, uh, not only in Kavanaugh Revenue Agency. This has gone to other places that people have moved into different departments thinking, well, maybe if we would move to a different department of the state, uh, it will be different. So it's really not. And this is a case for another person called Caroline Sib. Caroline Sib spent 26 years. She moved to two different departments of the Canadian government and after 26 years and two cases against harassment that she won, she had to retire because of mental illness caused by the stress of the work. So let's hear her story. This is Carol Pamela Sip. On the occasion of your retirement from the public service, I wish to thank you on behalf of the Department and people of Canada for 26 years of loyal service and to extend to you our best wishes. I haven't hung it up. Too many awful memories. The way I was treated, the way I was held back, no, no promotions. I started with the Department of National Defense and there was no room for promotion there. Took interviews with Gateway Postal Services and Canada Customs. I passed for both places, but I chose border services because I thought there would be more opportunities. But I was wrong. My first case was with a supervisor. He would say derogatory remarks and so forth. I brought it to management's attention and they did nothing about it. So I wrote to Ottawa. And when internal affairs came, they found a lot of things that were going on that shouldn't have been going on. I won my cases first with sexual harassment and the other one was discrimination. But it was not easy. After a few months or a year or so, the harassment started again. When the union first came in, they told me, they thought that they'd protect me by getting me into the union, right? But it really did not work. The supervisors began harassing me like I was labeled a troublemaker. The stress took a physical toll on me, which affected my mental health because I was very sick. I got hurt on the job and I wasn't getting better. It was a very low time in my life. I continued going to work even though I was sick until one day the doctor called me and he says, leave there right now and go see your psychiatrist. I would like things to change for the young people that would like to join the public service. We are all human beings. 
see no color, see no race. That's it. Carol's case is no different than other cases, even if she won two different battles against the government. We're going to hear from another Caroline, but this is Caroline Lane that spent 37 years in the RCNP. My name is Caroline Lane. I've done a total of 37 years with the RCMP. I never got a promotion. The biggest challenge I faced was um, many people didn't really acknowledge me. If someone come into the room and I am there, they would ask me, oh, can I speak to somebody about certain things? And I said, well, you can talk to me. I'm the somebody. And they would say, oh, isn't there somebody else over you? Why even look for a promotion? Because around the room, within the RCMP, when I was hired, I was the only, if you should use the word, black person working there. I never um, got that opportunity to supervise anyone. Not that. I didn't know the job. Not receiving the promotion made me upset over the years because I've, I've noticed so many others come in that didn't have the experience that I have. One superintendent had needed a secretary and I figure I can do that job. And I voiced my opinion that I wanted that job. I learned that that superintendent said he didn't want a black girl to be working there because when the other members and officers, everybody comes in, they would see the first person who would greet them would be the black girl. I had to work three times harder than the other girls in the office. You don't just look at somebody and because of the skin color, you say, she's black, I'm not going to take her. If they have the credentials and if they have the capabilities, why not? Why not give that person an opportunity? Treat uh, every individual as a human being. Jennifer Phillips, Caroline Sib, Caroline Lane, they have two things in common. They're Black, and they're also women. With the conversation that I had with Nicholas, Nicholas points this out. He points this out that the most affected people in the Canadian government are Black women employees. And not only that, this has been happening for way too long. Way too long. Nicholas and I had a conversation, and it was very informative of what he told me about the Canadian system and what has been happening and who has been targeted to. So let's hear this conversation. I really hope that people get that this is something that has been happening way too long for people that 
never deserved this. They only wanted to go to work and they only wanted to be respected. So uh, tell us a little bit about this uh, lawsuit. Uh, how did it came about? And, and can you do, can you give us a brief explanation uh, of what's happening? Sure. The lawsuit came about as a result of the government's failure to address uh, systemic discrimination, systemic anti-Black discrimination in Canada's public service. So what that looks like uh, for workers, it, uh, for a Black person, it means uh, serving the government and people of Canada for 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, and not receiving a promotion based on your race, um, a term that uh, we call Black employee exclusion. And uh, uh, the government has known this for decades. It has known that Blacks are at the lowest level, entry-level positions in Canada's public service and has failed to uh, create policies uh, and to uh, address that uh, exclusion, which has caused significant harm, uh, particularly for Black women who make up the majority of uh, the Black population in Canada's public service. Uh, so there is a, a, a disproportionate impact to Black women uh, facing uh, this type of discrimination. And it's almost uh, state-sanctioned uh, discrimination that is uh, supported by legislation and policies. Um, the public service holds a, a, a wide range of uh, discretionary powers uh, to appoint and uh, to, to promote uh, employees uh, in leadership positions or management position, management positions, etc. So um, Canada has failed to uh, to comply with its uh, domestic obligations as it pertains to discrimination in the workplace. It has also failed to um, adhere to its international obligations to the various treaties and declarations to which it is a signatory uh, to with the international community, uh, the United Nations. Now, considering that you said that it was people that worked in the Canadian government for 40, 60 years, and also considering the, the Human Rights Act, which is, was in the 70s, uh, that is kind of like our Civil Rights Act in Canada, how far back are we talking that, that this lawsuit goes? Like, what's the oldest... Uh, encounter information that you have of, of a Black employee uh, having this sort of situation? So the proposed class period uh, for the class action is from 1970 uh, up until present or whenever the case gets certified. So that's approximately 52 years um, going back um, uh, five decades uh, in Canada, where Canada first signed um, as party to uh, to where Canada committed to eliminating all forms of racism. Um, so we're talking about, uh, you know, quite some time, half a century of uh, discrimination that Canada has known about and has failed to act on. Yeah, I saw on your YouTube uh, channel and I, I'd seen the stories of people working 30, 25 years uh, within the federal government, getting one promotion, being overlooked and, and things like that, which is a very common practice when it comes to discrimination and racism. Now, how many people have you guys uh, have united for this cause? How many people have told these stories uh, so far? 
Well, today we have approximately uh, 1,700 workers that have come forward to say that this they have experienced this within the public service. Um, that number is moderate compared to uh, the certification. Once this uh, case is certified, this action um, will represent tens of thousands of workers, essentially the entire public service uh, workers that identify as black um, between 1970 up until the certification date would be considered class members. Um, and also we're seeking restitution for those who applied, were qualified, identified as black, but was never uh, allowed entry on account of their race. So we have two categories, those who were hired, but uh, the government failed to promote them on account of their race or qualified. And uh, so failure to hire and failure to promote. Those are the two categories. And what really makes this interesting, not, I wouldn't say interesting, what makes this monumental uh, and landmark is that it is the first action that seeks to address systemic discrimination at its root uh, in a wholesome way across the board in all, in the entire federal public service, which will set a new standard the rest of the country, provincial levels, city levels, private sector levels. We're seeking to set uh, a national precedent on, on how um, uh, black people ought to be treated in employment and failure to act would lead to significant consequences. I do agree on that because I know there are in this same platform, we have told stories of people that work in the provincial government of New Brunswick that has had uh, racial issues and they they're basically helpless. There's nothing that can help them. Uh, they go to the Human Rights Council and things like that. And that doesn't really work uh, because, again, uh, it's pretty much the egg versus the rock. So it, it there's the classes. So I see that in within the federal level. Uh, things like this are, are moving. Now, what's the argument, the counterpart of the government? What are they saying uh, regarding this, this class action lawsuit? Well, the government is, um, is being, you know, I would say, um, you know, two-sided on the issue. Publicly, they're acknowledging that the harms that have been caused, they're trying to create a mental health program uh, that we ask for to address the damages of systemic discrimination, right? So the government is saying, we're aware this problem exists. Um, we know the damages that it has caused and we want to create a solution to address it. They're saying that publicly. And in the courtroom, they're saying, well, the court does not have jurisdiction to hear this matter. So let's take it back to the broken systems uh, so that workers could get redress in those broken systems that have presided over these issues, that uh, the government has acknowledged those institutions uh, also have systemic discrimination. Government is saying this should not be in the court. Go back to those broken systems. Uh, and when you add an anti, when you add uh, anti-black racism on top of the broken system, it makes it even worse. Yeah, that's definitely so true. So they're saying one thing. 
publicly and in the court, they, they have a different position that almost diametrically opposes the acknowledgement in the public domain. I see. And, you know, blacks are a minority in this country. Um, and for a white counterpart, it it's almost impossible for them to understand the repercussions and the consequences of people not being promoted, not being treated fairly at their job. Okay. Can you try to explain to somebody that is white or doesn't understand why is this important and, and what are the repercussions that these people that have worked their whole lives uh, have suffered through because of discrimination and racism? Well, I would say to that point um, that we are seeing a lot of white allies who are standing with us and who, um, you know, do not understand the lived experience, but is certainly making an effort to help move the, the cause forward. Uh, to those other uh, white Canadians who do not understand uh, or thinks that this is a money grab or uh, or has the position, why don't you work hard and you can move forward and there's equality for everyone. Uh, to those Canadians, I would say um, uh, the government's data Government's data, not our data, the government's data demonstrates otherwise. We have exceptionally qualified Black Canadians who are serving in entry-level positions in the public service with uh, bachelor degrees, with uh, master degrees. Some even have doctorates and are serving in, in entry-level positions in the public service uh, with the only determining factor being their race. Um, it's This is a very important issue for the Black community because it involves generational wealth. So, for example, a white person working in the public service, let's say um, they would be in some type of leadership position. Um, uh, and, and that passes down to how their, their, their children's upbringing, uh, the schools that they can go to, the neighborhood that they can live in. Right? So there is a, a, an impact on that entire family. And in the same way, in the Black community, a Black person working in an entry-level position, uh, low-income housing, troubled neighborhood, uh, the, the schools that their children would go to uh, may not be the best schools. So they may not have the best quality of education. And now that has an impact on the children and the psyche of the children. Uh, and that's how it leads into a generational issue. So um, for those who have not experienced that, uh, that type of inequity or, or unfairness might be looking on from the outside and saying, well, you could work hard just like me and achieve that. Um, uh, but that is not the, the lived reality for Black Canadians. Um, and so there's a certain amount of privilege that is associated with being white that when applied to the workplace, um, you're seen in a particular way that allows you to advance um, uh, faster. And I'm not saying for a moment that there are white Canadians who do not um, uh, face barriers or whatnot, but, but they're certainly uh, not facing barriers because they're white uh, compared to Black people who are facing barriers in account of their skin color. So to, the, to those Canadians who think that, uh, you know, that Black should just work harder, uh, black people do work very hard. Black people are very educated. Um, and 
uh, are still being denied those opportunities because of you know prejudices, because of bias, um, uh, conscious bias. Uh, we've heard the term a lot about unconscious bias, which in many ways is used as an excuse for people, uh, for people's behaviors. So I didn't know I was doing this. It was probably my unconscious bias. Although you've taken a clear calculated step to deny someone something based on how you think of what you think about them or the stereotype that you think about them. Um, so, you know, to those Canadians, I, I would say, you know, listen to those stories that is coming out of the public service to those mothers and grandmothers who have really dedicated their lives to serving Canada and is retiring on the, the poverty line. Uh, some cannot afford to retire because the pension would be so small, they would not be able to survive on those pensions. So it is really a crisis in Canada's public service. And I say that with no you know, um, hesitation. Uh, and again, the disproportionate impact to black women, uh, it, it is, nothing uh, short of uh, outrageous. I definitely agree. I mean, if you go to different places in Canada, if you go to not the big cities like Montreal, Vancouver, or Edmonton, if you go to places like Peterborough, places like uh, St. John's, Newfoundland, or places like even Nova Scotia, uh, Cold Harbor, little small towns, uh, you can see what the Canadian dream is. The Canadian dream is you working find yourself a house, get your children to school, maybe get them to college and prosper and retired, uh, er, retired in a nice, comfortable position. And basically for these people of colors, that that's kind of been stolen for them. They're not able mm. to accomplish that because of low wages or low paying jobs, regardless their education and regardless their their hustle or their hard working. And I think that's a sad thing that we have to acknowledge that, you know, people are not talking here that they want to be rich or millionaires. People just want a right. fair wage so they can retire. Uh, that's that's exactly it. Um, uh, they're just seeking, uh, you know, the basic human rights. Nothing special, nothing fancy. If John is able to join the public service and he's able to become a director uh, in, in, after working hard for a few years, then, then certainly Keisha should be able to do the same. That's not a special request. That is, seems, to, you know, to be a basic fair request. Yeah, it, de it definitely is. So at this point, again, this could take years uh, to to manifest because the the legal the legal process, especially when it comes to a federal level, this could take years. What? maintains this cause and how do you guys pretend to to keep this going because again this this is a long process we recognize that um, the government has the ability to drag this out for a very long time um, uh, so that's why we've taken this uh, fight to the court of public opinion we have um, you know built relationships with organizations from across canada we have the support of the leading human rights organization, Amnesty International, which has um, a presence in 150 countries 
uh, with a following of uh, 11 million, a movement of 11 million people. Um, uh, we have um, uh, the support of the, you know, other major leaders in, in other countries and that support is growing. Uh, so we will take this fight to the international community. We will let uh, the world know how Canada treats black people. Uh, we will know that the image that Canada uh, portrays itself on the global stage as a, as a safe haven for refugees and a welcoming and inclusive and diverse society. Uh, we know that um, uh, we will let the world know that, you know, that's what Canada is saying, but here's how it's treat how it treats black people, right? Um, and and the government is not disputing any of this. Um, I, I want to uh, read for your audience a a um, a message from the uh, Treasury Board here. Um, the president of the Treasury Board, Mona Fortier, issued a statement um, very recently. And in that statement, um, at that time, we had filed a complaint with the United Nations for human rights violations against Black people in Canada. And the Treasury Board issued a statement, which is the employer for the public service, saying that the government of Canada is actively working to address harms and create a diverse and inclusive public service free of discrimination and harassment. Our workforce must be representative of the communities we serve. Uh, our federal workplaces should be welcoming, safe, and supportive. Again, they're working to create uh, a diverse public service. So they're saying very clearly, we do not have a diverse public service, one that is welcoming and inclusive, and that they're acknowledging these harms. Um, so I think that that is something that the international community ought to know uh, how Canada treats black people all of those African countries that it is purporting to, uh, or that it is attempting to gain support, they should know how the, the descendants of their countries are, you know, many of whom are dual citizens of uh, African countries or Caribbean countries. Uh, those countries needs to know how Canada treats black people and it needs to be judged on that. And Canada needs to be held accountable uh, for those violations. So that's where, um, while the government seeks to drag this out, we intend to raise public awareness uh, nationally and internationally, uh, you know, letting the world know Canada's position on this, that we're going to acknowledge this, we're going to say we acknowledge these harms, but not do anything actually meaningful that reaches workers. Yes, we'll say we're creating this, we're creating this, we can check all of these boxes, but actual relief to workers, we're not going to do any of that. Yeah, I, I definitely think that that's part of uh, what 
our system in Canada, it portrays itself about being all multicultural, multi-diverse and all that. But the reality is, is that if you're a person of color, you most likely are going to face racism, uh, either systematic, which the systematic is the one that we all face because it's like an invisible wall. We don't see it. Uh, it's not there. It's not we cannot pinpoint it, but the system is not made for people of color and it has adapted, but it's not there for us. Uh, and also you will face the direct racism, the, the racism from somebody telling you that maybe, you know, you're different just because of the color of your skin. And that is something that I, I think we we try to forget, portray that when you are in a workplace, there is a barrier, but nobody can see it. And there is a barrier of that system that says, wait, we're not used to somebody like you being in X position, even if you qualify, but because you look different, we can't put you there or it will be a settlement or people will start asking, why are you there instead of the qualifications for it? And and that's definitely unfair. Now, there's, I think personally, you, you said 700 people, uh, 700, uh, sorry, 1,700 people uh, have already said their stories. But I think there's, they are more in different places in Canada that we may not know. If those people want to join you guys, how do they contact you? Where do they go to? So anyone can visit blackclassaction.ca and sign up. Give us your information. Even uh, people who applied and did not gain entry to the public service that identifies as black can sign up um, on our website. And one other thing before before I let you go, uh, how what's been the most the, the most struggle to keep this going? Because uh, I think again we seen when it first launched uh, it launched a press conference. Uh, there were some articles on CBC, CTV, City News. But it kind of faded out a bit. It, besides that, what's been the biggest hurdle for this movement to keep going and, and get more attention? Well, a big part of the, this challenge is financial support. Um, we need to be able to raise significant amount of money um, uh, for education and awareness, marketing, advertising, social media. Um this is a national exercise that is aimed at uh, at the at the soul of of Canada um, because of the implications to institutions and organizations across this country. Uh, it's it's really a significant monumental effort. Um, let's say to free Canada from those chains and 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 help make Canada the country. It is actually seeking to be one that is diverse, one is as in inclusive, and then one that welcomes everyone, and that you can you can uh, be whoever you want and achieve whatever you want. It's important to set that standard with the federal government, the largest employer in the country. Well, Nicholas, I do want to thank you for your time, and I want to redirect everybody to Black classaction.ca you can donate uh buy merch there whatever can you can do to support that would be great i think it, it, this is actually needed and hopefully uh people that are prominent in our communities can also go and help as well uh i do think this is a really important issue to qualify and i mean 
personally for yourself, what do you hope out of this? What's the outcome that you hope if if this gets to go to court, if this gets to get a trial, let's say if it wins uh, the cause, what 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 do you expect would happen if that if that's the perfect scenario? Well, I would say when we win, because we will win this battle one way or the other, when we win, um, we are uh, that would result in amendments to the Employment Equity Act to create a separate category for black workers, a mental health fund to treat the damages that the government has created, uh, accountability to prevent the public service from back sliding into that era of uh, systemic discrimination, um, and compensation for all of those damages that has been acknowledged, for all of those lives that has been ruined, the generational impacts on families, the loss of salary, the loss of pensions, uh, the pain and suffering. There must be compensation for those damages. So, so when we win this, there, there will be a fund to compensate all workers for the egregious conduct of the government of Canada. And finally, um, uh, an apology from the government and prime minister of Canada for decades of systemic anti-Black racism uh, within Canada's federal public service. I hope that happens as well. Uh... Nicholas, I, I do want to thank you for being here and I appreciate your time. And again, we'll keep following up on this story and this platform is open for anything that you guys want to talk about. Thank you for having me. Thank you as well. I want to thank everybody for listening. Thank you so much for giving us attention and for letting us tell the stories. Don't forget to go to blackandthemaritimes.com on all our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages at Black in the Maritimes. Thank you for everybody that donates on Patreon and PayPal. We do appreciate the donations and peace out.